if your pricing isn't very simple, you're going to need to create some very simple ways to articulate it. Or if they want a demo, they've got to get online with one of our salespeople. Do not put that wall in front of us. Partner managers think in they're the only ones in the entire universe. Like here's all these things that you need to fill out in order to make it happen. And it's like, we just jump on a 15 minute call and tell you what's up. Welcome to Make Them Famous, the podcast about partner enablement. The only podcast to uncover both how partner teams enable their partners and how other department leaders enable their partner teams to achieve success. Today is a great day to learn about partnerships, specifically from Remington Begg, founder of Impulse Creative, a top HubSpot solutions partner building large websites, running content marketing, RevOps, and all around inbound marketing services. Remington has been running Impulse for 11 years, which makes him as experienced as they come with partnerships especially. His tech partners today range from HubSpot, Sendoso, Aircall, Sakari, and Avoma. I get a PhD in partnerships from having conversations like these, detailed conversations with top agencies like Impulse Creative, because it's the hard truth about partnering that you cannot get from speaking to channel managers. In this episode, Remington shares what he reviews first around partnership opportunities, why things go sideways, when, if ever, are commissions a factor, how important help documentation is to the agency partner, Remington's partner track from vetting all the way to implementation, how Remington vets tech to be an expert solutions partner, why he suggests not using betas as an incentive for agencies, what tools and apps Remington uses to manage partnerships, what communication channels he prefers. This is a jam-packed episode, so I hope you enjoy it. But first, as always, let me recommend some tech to help you grow your partner program. For sponsorship, we aimed for not only great products, but tech used to power some of the top partner programs around. We've invited PartnerStack, ShareWork, and Sendoso to be those sponsors. PartnerStack, for those of you unfamiliar, is the leading partner management platform or PRM for SaaS companies like Monday, Unbounce, Intercom, and Webflow. And it is a company we've worked closely with. We advise many of our post-program market fit clients to demo PartnerStack when they are ready to scale revenue through partnerships. And we've talked a lot about co-selling in this podcast, so please check out our sponsor for co-selling, sharework.co, a free app that allows partnership managers at top companies like Qualtrics, Full Story, Smart Recruiters, and Sendoso to easily generate partner-sourced and partner-influenced deals thanks to real-time and unlimited account mapping. Sharework is offering all Make Them Famous listeners a three-month free account to map unlimited accounts, to generate leads, and attribute revenue to partnership managers' efforts. Use the link below to sign up for that offer. Finally, the top sales and partnerships teams around know of our third partner, Sendoso, the leading sending platform. Sendoso is the most effective way for revenue-generating teams to stand out with new ways to engage at strategic points throughout their customer journey. By connecting digital and physical strategies, companies can engage, acquire, and retain customers easier than ever before. Founded in 2016, Sendoso is trusted by over 500 companies 
and has a vast global footprint with presence in North America, Europe, and Asia Pacific. Learn more at sedoso.com. So thanks again to our amazing sponsors. Now let's get back into the episode. The name of the game today, like all these episodes, is to uncover what is working with tech partnerships, uh, partnerships in general. We like to mention if there's anything relevant, other agencies, but mainly tech partnerships, how they are working inside of the agency, what is working, what isn't working. Uh, we'll go into a little bit of when it goes wrong, yeah. why it went wrong, <clears throat> try to kind of help uncover some of that and, uh, and give some advice of hey, here's what I would have done if I was in that partner managers or that channel director, head of channels, shoes in that case. And then we'll talk you through some of the best practices for partner enablement, yes, incentive structure, yes, communication, and maybe go into a little bit of just day-to-day community stuff if you have any good and bad experiences around where to develop communities and for what. But let's do introductions first. Go ahead, Remington. Hi there, I'm Remington from Impulse Creative. We are a revenue operations and growth strategy agency headquartered in South, it's hard, it's actually hard to say now, headquartered in South Florida. I live in Babcock Ranch, but we have uh, 22 employees throughout the US. Babcock Ranch, I've never heard of it. Whereabouts is that? Yep. So if you did an L between Tampa and Miami, we're like just about at the base of that L and um, it's the nation's first solar uh, powered town. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's super. Innovation. <laughs> wow. Well, that's good. So you can leave those lights on. No big deal. There you go. I should turn mine off. But Remington, let's start out like this. I mean, we like to hear who your partners are to get yep. lay of the land. This is also just sort of a persona discussion. Yep. People like to know who you are and what you, what you do and who you, who you partner with. So go through the line, top down, who are your current partners? Yeah, so we're we're very heavy in the marketing, sales, and uh, customer success side of things. So we tend to lean into those buckets from a partner standpoint. HubSpot is, I would say, our primary partner. Everything that we do ties into HubSpot in one way, shape, or form, just from from the longevity. We've been a HubSpot partner since 2012. 2012. So it's that's the the OG of it. Also partners with Formstack, Voma, Aircall, Sakari. 23, we, I still consider ourselves a partner with Wistia, even though their partner program isn't uh, necessarily there. And, and then also Sendoso and InCycle. Those are the primary ones. Ah. And then we have partnerships with a couple others, but there's no real formal program, but we've more so incorporated them into our marketing and our tech stacks. Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned some familiar faces in there. Definitely curious about a couple of those newer ones. Uh, we have had a couple of HubSpotters, uh, Richard over at Six and Flow and Yvonne, his channel manager on the podcast. So if you haven't heard that one, definitely go back and listen to that after this one. It's a good one. So we're going to lean on it a little bit for best practices, but you have some interesting new partnerships that we're going to talk about and uh, very, very interested in that. So let's talk about some of the things that have happened in your experience with partnerships, just in general, let's go over kind of where it started. Why did you double down with a couple of your recent partners? Give us kind of the lay of the land with what's going on with partnerships. Yeah, I think so we've been, I've owned the agency officially officially for now it's 11 years, technically the company overall since 2007. So we've been around for a while. And I think that there's been this like 
this effect that's happened where everyone wanted the white label everything to now with white labeling comes a lot of responsibility about uptime and it's your name and your name only to now it's more like bringing in the partnerships and being transparent. That's really our point of view on it. But we're with every referral, with every partnership, we're giving away a piece of our own credibility. And I think that that's usually how I look into the experience. It's usually the big question mark when I'm looking for things. Overall partnership experience, I think just like everyone, it's almost like a customer service type of thing. You, you get the full range, but some things that have been really compelling is, you know, it ties into a lot of our core values. Proactive support is great. Proactive communication is better, right? And making sure that people know what's going on. You know, there's a lot of changes in SaaS, you almost on a daily. I joke, it's always on a Friday at the end of the day that's, that those pushes happen. And that really sucks for a partner in some cases. <laughs> and then, you know, but then you get into the areas where it starts to fail is really around the lack of those things, the lack of communication, the lack of support. And more importantly, I think the lack of follow through on doing what was said that they were going to be do, be done, or, you know, God forbid, you have to have a where a partner gives a promise to a customer, a mutual customer, and then that's not fulfilled, you know, that that can kind of snowball. And we've cut some partnerships because of that, where the the technology is great. It's just the support really sucks on the but going back to the the pro side of the experience, I think that there's a lot of people that are trying to enable and like and really solve for the customer in regards to their their growth path and like the niche that they might be going after from a tech standpoint and i really enjoy the early on partner programs in a lot of cases because you can help define the direction of the product and and really get a lot of valuable feedback and momentum as well so it's all about a relationship we try to give as much time to our partners as we do our customers. Yeah. Yeah. And 11 years, I mean, you, you have to be a very, very logical, very mature, and you have to be very conscious of the decisions you make as an agent to be around 11 years. That's, that takes a lot. Former agency owner myself. And I've, I've, I can't imagine I, I I did it for three and a half, maybe four. And it was, yeah. Peaks, valleys, pivots, weaves. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this is important to understand. So from a partner manager's perspective, the mentality and the persona of an agency that's in their double digits like yours is different. There's, yeah. there's higher uh, risks, I think, for changing anything. So mm-hmm. if you want to onboard a new partner, I heard one of my agency colleagues say he, he estimated about $10,000 in costs to create a new partnership, a partnership in the way he does it. He's more mid-market. So he's thinking yep. about maybe a Adobe versus Marketo, whatever, mm-hmm. but it still translates the same way where you have to create assets for the partnership. You have to train your entire team on that solution. You have to yep. do lunch and learns. You have to do client pitches. You have to set up operations. It's expensive. So when a partner comes to you, let's talk about what you what you look for. Uh, you can pull on any of the recent examples where you said yes, and maybe a couple where you said sure. no. But what are the first things that you look at? Product, client fit, partnership. What what is it? What what's the law? So I actually go to documentation first. So if I if I'm reached out to by in even in the sales process and something seems viable, I've heard about it in the market. I go straight to their documentation. How much are they actually trying to solve for their customer? If they aren't solving for their customer in a transparent way, in like b- being very actionable in regards to support, they're definitely not going to be prepared to do that for a partner. We're going to ask harder questions and we're going to go down this like vein of, you know, well, but how does that all actually work? Just because no one's asked the question before doesn't mean that 
it's the wrong question, right? And I usually challenge them, challenge them on that when they come to me about the partnerships and the sales process. The ones that don't get to get past that first call are, are the ones that either have very snooty answers to that question or try to justify the reasoning. They're bootstrapped. They don't have time to do support. And, you know, everything that we do at Impulse is documented if it's more than three steps. So, so we, we want to be able to think through and there's no way to support a partner program or a company for that matter, if you don't have those things. So that's a huge, huge piece. I also call into support. So I'll call into support and I'll just ask general questions. And a lot of times you'll get pushed back over to sales, but it's how that was done that you really get to understand where it is. And that's all before I usually get on that first sales call. And the part, the partner teams that I typically talk to, they're like, this isn't a sales call. This is a partnership call. And I agree with whomever said that, that $10,000. No, it's actually more important. <laughs> this is the, this is the next 10 years of relationship rather than the last, the next 18 month relationship or whatever the average life cycle value of a customer is. So that's the, that's the big pieces where things start to go um, sideways is when follow-up doesn't happen the right way. Hey, I'm going to call you on this date, or I'm going to send over these resources. And when they come with strings attached, when they haven't been said that there are strings attached and, you know, I can explain that if needed, but then when it gets down to contracts and stuff like that, it's trying to understand how, how do we, we not screw the partner in the situation. I think a lot of times early on, you can get people who get partnerships right and they go, oh, this is a this is a potential fulcrum for my business to really accelerate it into the next stage. And then you get other people that look at partners as like a cash cow that's gonna that's gonna produce some real results. It's gonna 10x my sales force because they're salespeople with those partners. That could be true, but the way you approach some of those contracts is a really big thing. You know, one with one exclusivity was in there. We couldn't partner with other options. And we're very platform agnostic in regards to options. I would never say, sorry, this is the only option we recommend because this is the only one that we can talk about. Um, That's not solving for my customer. So those types of things can be where things go very wrong. Okay. So yeah. So putting roadblocks and um, not roadblocks, sorry, that's the wrong word, but putting requirements, (laughs) I think, you know, requirements, I think in a partnership. I, it just changes the term partnership. It becomes, you know, I'm working for you and these are my order of operations and these are my tasks. And this is what I have to do to technically get whatever you're offering me. That's not a partnership. That's, that's a a vendorship. One of our colleagues at at formerly Sendoso was, was talking to me about that early on when we were developing that. That's a vendorship. That's yeah. You're telling me what to do and I have to do those things or else I am not your partner. Right. That's a vendorship. So let's let's talk about that for a little bit because there's there's an incentive structure mm-hmm. and then there's contract terms. And I get for the channel managers that are listening, I get it's a lot of time for you guys too. And you do have to cover your bases, but I think there is a happy medium. But let's talk about incentive structures. What yeah. incentives do you look at? Let's just say product is aligned, help docs are there, everything mm-hmm. seems to be a fit from the face yep. value. Then you start discussing the partnership. What kind of things do you listen for? What do you look at related to just the partnership? Yeah, I think that, so I go in, we are a big fan of show versus tell at Impulse. We're going to deploy it, try and break it, do whatever we can internally with whatever the solution that we're partnering with so that we can talk about real life examples of how we do it. We'll show it. 
we'll set it up, we'll show clients how it could it could be leveraged. In a lot of cases, the the conversation coming right out of the kickoff call is what leads can you send me? And and there's this confidence flow where, you know, in a lot of cases the conversation is let's get you in the tool and let's show you how to use it. It's, Hey, this is the tool. Now, what clients do you have that you can send over to us? Right. It goes straight for the throat. That kind of a process can be pretty troublesome because again, we're giving a piece of ourselves with every referral, the individuals on the other side, the channel partner managers, like that kind of thing would usually hold back their own referrals for anything as from a human level to make sure they've, they've got the confidence. We, we look for a lot of those opportunities to the resource. So you mentioned lunch and learns. I think it's a great idea. I would say three quarters of the ones that are on my list offered those before they asked for those leads and, you know, trying to get the team set up and moving. But then also, I think most importantly, some of them asked, how's the best way to get the information to your team? And I think that that's a really big piece. You ask for 15 people on a lunch and learn. Are you going to be providing enough value to cover that payroll? If the answer is maybe, you don't have enough value in that. And you should think about ways to do it with, you know, asynchronously. So HubSpot's done this really well with Academy. Async, you know, get the details of the features of the product. And like we built an LMS to do that kind of thing for our own customers. You know, that kind of thing can be really huge. And so I think the, the information transfer is probably one of the most important things. Okay. Okay. So I want to unpack one thing that you mentioned. So, so show versus tell, this is important because for partner managers that don't understand this, if Remington took every new partner and just immediately blasted out an email newsletter with, Hey, here's the technology. Here's why you go ahead and add it. You're welcome. And I'll see you next Friday. (laughs) He wouldn't wouldn't be around 11 years. So right. He mentioned there is he will obviously uh, tinker. He will try to create his own use cases, maybe even on your own site before you mm-hmm. go and, and present it to specific clients that you know are uh, a fit. So let's talk yep. to the partner managers listening through that process of, okay, well, if I want to enable you to yep. tinker with my product, find a an initial sale or an initial mm-hmm use case. What are some of the things that you require of me to go down that process in order? So some of the things yeah. that you check and, and make sure are in place and, and need. So we do a couple of things. So, and the, uh, not necessarily traditional. So we have a sub brand called Sprocket Talk and that, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our, the planetary alignment of partners also tie into integrations with HubSpot. We actually do a, right off the bat, we'll do a podcast, video podcast style interview with whomever at that partner to get straight from the horse's mouth, the value prop and the different information. And we're getting that recorded for two purposes. One, so we could share in that newsletter about the new partner when it's ready and it doesn't require anybody extra, any additional time. Two, that immediately goes into our internal wiki that is from the horse's mouth, the value prop and the reasonings behind all the different details. So that usually gets signed up right right off the bat. It's great PR. It's a great like flash in the pan for the partner manager to feel excited because they get some extra eyeballs and we're kind of sharing the sharing the audience a bit there. But on the flip side, that's a really great first step of enablement is we're able to ask the questions during that interview process that 
we know is going to fit our customer base. And we get the direct answers from the stakeholder at said partner. So that's a huge one for us. Then a lot of times it has to do with, it's discounted. I've seen a lot of partners that will say, hey, for six months, we'll give you the platform for free so that you can like test out the use case or in some cases it can be longer. And then it's fine if there's strings attached on that. It's fine if it's like, and after six months, if you don't give us a customer, then you can't have it. Like that's totally fine. But getting access that's as low impact as possible to the agency from a, a PL standpoint is really helpful. So we'll go through, we'll figure out what we have to do. And in a lot of cases, what we'll do, impulse is we'll ask, we'll we'll plan it out. We'll say, this is what we're looking to accomplish. What resources can you provide us? This is our own internal test because what we're asking, we're giving a real life use case, which the salesperson should be prepared for if there was ever a co-selling they should be able to provide some of that insight. And business acumen is really hard in the sales process, especially with new salespeople and new companies. And we're assessing whether or not we can refer a person directly to that partner. If we can't refer directly to a partner, we're happy to handle the sales process, but it's just our internal measure of how did that go? What's the quality of the the feedback and the business acumen? Is this person trying to close the deal or is this person trying to solve for a customer? And so we usually get that, that response back. Then we'll build out the system or the process. And depending on the, the nature of it, it could be a month to two months. And what we're doing is we're not just looking like, how is this operating? But we're also looking at what kind of stats can we get? What kind of real life use cases? And how can we start incorporating, introducing it to customers? And so a perfect example um, is Avoma. Avoma is a call recording software that in my opinion, comparable to Gong, significantly cheaper and they're much nicer. And, and Voma came through and we had a great conversation. We got set up on the tool. We looked through how it works and we're, we just started naturally bringing it into our sales and uh, customer success. And we're like, oh, we'll just send you over the snippet of this call recording because this is really important for homework for you to get back to us. We're telling this to a customer. And wait a minute, what is this magic, <laughs> right? And now we're naturally referring it we're naturally talking about it and it's it solves for both the partner and our company because we're elevating the confidence in the customer experience and the partner is getting the show versus tell. And then from there, it's we'll do ongoing communication. A lot of times we share slacks or like we're super engaged in community, but it's a big part on making sure that it has a real life need and that we still keep using it. And we look at what the cost of inaction with the tool is in almost every case, because there's a million ways to do just about anything online these days. Half of them come down to spreadsheets. And so it's, you know, how do we define the details and how do we really kind of wrap our head around what the cost of inaction using that tool would be or what the alternatives are? Very good. Okay, yeah. so there, there was a lot there. And I think <laughs> we, could even, we could even have like a you know, a partner track by Remington sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, infographic or something from that. But I think that's something for agencies listening. I know there's only a few agencies that listen to this podcast, the really progressive ones you guys are, you know, if you are onboarding partners, you are looking at partners, you're actively vetting partners, maybe you have a partner manager. It's important to have these types of resources in-house say, okay, well, you know, we're going to vet you like this. We're going to look at your help docs. We're going to make sure that we can deploy it for free somewhere for at least a period of time so that we can vet it without having to pay 
Uh, and then we're going to take you down this track and here's what it looks like on our side. And here's our ideal persona. We call it a partner memorandum, but just something that you can, you can have to make sure that they know who you are because it works both ways and make sure that they at least read that and share it with their team in case they, they have a team. But what I want to know a little bit more about after help documentation, if I can recite Mm -hmm. this, so like help documentation is there. Everything seems to be good. The product may have been recommended by a customer. So that's a big bonus there. That's a Mm -hmm. check. Then you're looking at, okay, well, what can I do with this product first? Maybe do a little bit of a use case test on your site. That box gets checked. Maybe that all happens in the first week. Schedule lunch and learns with the team. Get the team's buy-in on the product and the use case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now comes the paths to what type of partnership you're going to have. So you guys are selling a specific set of services. You're not going to all of a sudden start building, you know, Shopify apps or something. I don't know. Right. You're you're doing your services and all of these different tools that think they're aligned with you, they come to the table. Mm -hmm. So there comes a time when you say, you know what? The referral commission is great. And we believe we have a great solid customer base. And yes, we think the tool is awesome. We're going to be a referral partner, sign us up, and we'll we'll try to create a system around this to get you in front of our clients. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to be an implementation, you know, HubSpot type partner where you're building services on top of that solution. Yep. So I want to learn a little bit more about some extra layers of the partner track or extra yeah. steps that you take to where you say, this could be added to that RevOps type service over there, that HubSpot mm-hmm. build. You know, I'm thinking about Sakari could be in this bucket. Some of the other ones you mentioned where they yep. bolt right into HubSpot. But talk to me about those real quick, if you can. Yeah. You look at How do you look at building services on top of tech? Yeah, so the first question is, would we refer this service if we didn't get paid for it? Okay. And dramatic pause on purpose, right? Because, because I think that I think that if we're not willing to refer this service without getting paid, then there's a problem with how we're trying to fit it into our stack. And, and to your point, yes, it should roll into services. It should either re- revolve into services or it would, should refer into, revolve into enablement of the customer. And so I explain it this way, right? Voma enables us to do customer service better. Aircall enables us to be able to understand what is happening. It's not for us, our personal use, it's not necessarily going to be a windfall for what we have going on, but it does enable us to know more about the sales conversations that we refer to clients. And it does enable us to not have to interview key stakeholders and salespeople and pull them away from their sales teams or their sales objectives, just ask them a question about customer conversations, right? So I think that that's a really important piece. We are, as an agency, here to help customers grow smarter. And Smarter means potentially cheaper. It means less work. It means less effort. And technology is there to do that exact same thing. And so if it's like dollar for dollar, the same cost to pay us to do it, but we could refer it or enable it with another technology solution, we might lose some agency revenue, but we could gain a lot of efficiency from it. And so that's like the business acumen side of this is trying to figure out how it fits into the agency business model. Almost never it's, oh, I can make this much commission. That I look at that as a, that should help cover the costs of keeping up to date with that software as an agency. 
not a, that's how I should generate some more revenue. And that's usually the leading thing that people start with when I talk from a partner management, oh, you can make 20%. And I'm like, 20% of $500. Yes. That sounds like an amazing thing and not to sound pretentious, but like in the grand scheme of things, you know, 20% of $500 is how much an agency will burn in one hour of service delivery. Right. It, and it, it can get really dicey there, but the extra layers go in. Yes. It's good to know from a commission standpoint, like what we're dealing with and how much money is coming. But I think one of the really interesting pieces is if it's a pain in the butt to get any transparency around where I am in my payouts or how much my payout should be or any of those pieces, like that's a major, a major pain point because I don't want to have to talk to accounting about reconciling whether or not we got commission on, on that item or, or whether we got overpaid or underpaid or what, like, that's not why I'm here to be in business. And that's usually not something that's well thought out. And that's actually why we built a PRM system for HubSpot because we ran into a lot of people having those issues. And so that, that transparency is a huge piece as that layer. I think that answers your question. hundred percent. So, so, so you, you met, you got into the, the next line of questioning, which is around in, incentives based on a referral commission and other comp, uh, compensatory, you know, incentives. It's important for partner managers to really look at the commissions and the grand scheme of things and, and figure out how much, how much weight they should put on that. Because yes, too many partner programs will launch with only commissions as the incentive and put words like perpetuity on there to make it sound even more exciting. But at the end of the day, their average customer value, their ACV is just way too low for it to ever be a factor. When you get into big HubSpot builds, yes, of course, there's money there and of course, but for 99% of the SaaS out there and listening, you're in the 25 to $100 a month mark. And uh, that it's just, you'd have to give them more than you make from the customer in order for that to be a factor. So let's talk about other incentives that are valuable. So I'll list out a bunch that we've seen and had experience with, and let's just go down some of your experience with those. But Co-marketing is great. It puts you in front of their audiences. Typically, SaaS will have a much bigger audience than the agency on average. Mm -hmm. So being able to go to Remington and say, you know what, week one, regardless of signatures, you are invited to partake in a expert QA, an interview for our blog. It goes out next Friday, you know, join us in that. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Backlinks in general, you can provide Remington with backlinks in multiple ways, highlighting him on your blog, of course, but there's also your, your directory. You know, if you have a directory mentioned to Remington that after he completes a certain number of steps, he gets a profile in your directory. If that directory gets traffic, that's even more exciting for Remington because now he's in front of potential users of your tool. Of course, before that he has to know that that tool has a place in his stack. So backlinks and co-marketing under the same sort of umbrella, making him famous. It's the title of this uh, Mm -hmm. this, uh, show. And uh, then under that, I think there's a lot of things. There's co-selling, which is becoming more exciting as apps, products like Sharework, who sponsors this podcast, get really good, allows Mm -hmm. you to free, for free, load and map your pipeline against your partner's pipeline, which allows you to go and cherry pick customers that your tech partner 
may have in closed one as a user, but you have in per vetting, pursuing, mm-hmm. selling, whatever your pipe, I don't know what the pipeline stages are these days. And then uh, under co-selling, you have your typical stuff, product roadmap inclusion, knowing what's going on with the product, being able to influence that product is helpful sometimes. Just being a an excellent customer support mechanism that is above and beyond what Remington's customers would get without Remington in the picture. So maybe mm-hmm. with Remington, as a partner, he gets a direct phone line to an account manager, whereas his customers would have to go through chat. So it puts right. Remington in the middle. Anything you can do to keep him in the middle so that his clients love his service, that's good for him too. Uh, under that, there's all sorts of stuff around just MDF funds. Sometimes that happens if you have sponsorship dollars, you could throw Remington. 500 bucks for his podcast or something, or you do a co-marketing thing. Wistia does some stuff like that or used to. And then under that, let's just say product stuff. Yes. We got co-selling stuff. Yes. Marketing stuff. Yes. Anything else? Talk to me about your favorite incentives. What is bare minimum? Oh, free accounts and pass-through discounts. Let's talk about that. Free accounts and pass-through discounts. Yeah. So I think I think a lot of agency or a lot of partnerships start with, oh, you can do a pass-through discount. It just comes out of your commission. That's not a pass-through discount. <laughs> that is that is taking that's taking money out of the partner and being, and not negotiating. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Take it out of your commission. Oh yeah, all the time. They're like, yeah, you could. I, I don't necessarily want to name names, but <laughs> when we're done. There's uh, an accessibility tool that's like, yeah, you could just pass that. You could just pass that discount through to them, and uh, that would totally work. But I think it's just important to say, you know, if you're going to allow pass-through discounts, being clear on that, and and even being clear on what the requirements are, like it, like based on those, you know, if it's a 10% discount and there's a 12-month commitment needed, or you need to get a signature within a week of asking for it, like. Those types of things are just really clear. Wait, clear. clarify this. Was it yeah. in place of commission? So like, let's just say yeah. it, a 10% commission on the sale, but yep. instead of taking 10%, you can give your client 10%, 10%. off? Yeah. Okay. See, I, yeah. I would say that, you know, that I thought what you meant there was yeah. in, your client's going to pay the same amount, but you're going to take your commission at the end of a quarter and that's going to go to your client in some way. No, no, no. The other way, the other way, actually. So we have, we're having a conversation and the client asked for a a discount on a direct, well, not direct on a partnership meeting. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. We could probably negotiate 10%. And then they came back to us and they're like, Hey, they asked for 10% off. And I was like, okay. And then, and then you and it turned out that that was our 10% that they gave away. Without you know, okay, okay. So I actually don't care about the commission again. Like I care about making sure that the client's solved for it. So if they had come in and be like, hey, this could be a good fit, but they're asking for a commission. Do you want to split it? Or do you want it? Like, are you willing to give it away? I probably would have said yes. But the fact that that choice wasn't, that choice was made, not exactly like great confidence in communication there. The, what was your other question? I was just going to say, so to partner managers listening, I think the best practice and tell me what you would do if you were in their shoes, have the interviews before you even launch your partner program and decide on commission, find out if all of your potential partners, the ones that you're interviewing Mm -hmm. would rather have a discount for all of their clients, any client, they always get this discount if they come through Remington, or would they rather have a commission at a certain percentage? Just get it answered 
most of the time they will say the discount and then just go with that. Don't even convolute things. Your clients always get a discount, refer them here. They're always going to get a discount. Right. End of story. And it makes it easier for any kind of pass through for links or like reasons for the, for the client to wait and that kind of thing as well. I would totally agree there. I think that the, the other side, the other side of that is don't use betas as a reason for, I should, I don't think betas should be used as an incentive for an agency. A lot of times we hear that in the like early access to betas. I think that's great. I think you should want early access to betas, but like you should only be allowed to be in a beta if you give feedback, which is the whole point of a beta. I think that a lot of times people will get early access to a beta just so they can get it first, which isn't wrong, but like the feedback is the whole intended purpose of the beta. And I think that the partners are helping you drive your product and improving your product and who provide feedbacks in the betas should be the ones that are, you, maybe it's access to that potential incentive, but don't let that be an open, just an open door because that, that can cause a lot of issues. And if you don't get feedback from people who are selling your product, that can be really, really catastrophic. It could be a huge catastrophe for you, for your organization. Inspire that culture early. Yeah, I think that beta term, I think these, the other part of that is including your partners in just product roadmap, what's coming out, you know, so that Remington knows way ahead of time 100%. that this feature is about to be deprecated or, yep. and he yep. has five clients on that feature. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great point. They, I think we get real excited about new features when we launch and sometimes they're breaking changes. You got to realize if there's a service related to that, then you've got to give enough ramp for your partners to solve for their customer. Last year, HubSpot came out with themes and I gave some tough feedback to HubSpot on the fact that like their timeframe for launch and announcement from us knowing to it going live was less than the build cycle of, of an average website. How can you do that to an agency? Like I'm at mid contract of a hundred thousand dollar website and then the features that are going to be delivered to the client when they're supposed to be excited about a brand new website are not going to be the features that HubSpot's announces that are available, right? Like that, that stung a little bit last year. So I think that using that and like not, not effing the customer or effing the customer or effing the partner is a real big thing that you have to think through is like, what's the, what are the business implications of launch and how should we communicate? I think that's a huge one. I'm going to put that in the notes. I've got a running list of takeaways here that I'm trying to keep up with. Uh, but Fun. that'll put in the show notes. But that one's huge. Good thing this is recorded. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hate going back through it, man. I do it I do it on the audio only. I'll go yeah. back through and I'll mess with the audio. This one, I think it'll be pretty raw, so I don't have to go back through it. But I'm going to post it to the community and they're going to have a whole bunch of, hey, what did he say? What was the hey, can you? <laughs> Can you ask cool. me? I'm sure. So hopefully you don't get too many. No, I'm happy to. Calls and emails. We'll, we'll have him hit me up on Twitter. Be yeah, the, yeah, we'll, that would be good. I say follow him on LinkedIn, follow him on Twitter. But we do have one more thing to discuss. But just to sure. recap that, get your partners into some level of, of communication about products, roadmap stuff, when things are going to be released. Make sure that everybody has enough ramp time, especially on bigger uh, changes ecosystem stuff, this whole themes thing that HubSpot mm-hmm. did so that they can prep. That's in your best interest as well, not just to keep them sane and to keep them happy, but you want right. Remington to come out with an app like you did when HubSpot had their, their what is it called? Their Operations Hub. 
operations hub. So now yep. you can build on top of HubSpot. Remington did that. And I think you were one of the very first few that rolled out right when it launched because they probably let you know ahead of time, gave you enough time to figure out what you wanted to build. You had an idea, you got it done, and that's in HubSpot's best interest. So they're usually good at that, but obviously yeah. with the same thing, they kind of dropped the ball a little well, bit. Public, I mean, public companies are a whole nother bandwagon, right? Yeah. They've, they've grown pretty big. They have to do that to a certain extent, but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's that reminds me. I got to get Scott Brinker back on. He was on another yeah. podcast I had, but I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, but maybe this is a good follow-up. We'll get him on to talk about enabling partners, agency partners, and connecting them into the app ecosystems that you're developing. Mm -hmm. That could yep. be really cool. Okay. But the other thing we want to talk about is just managing day-to-day, -day. keep the lights on, but also what systems have you been involved in that worked really well and a couple maybe that didn't, but what do you yeah. suggest and what do you use and how do you, how do you orchestrate partnerships between the two? Yeah. So we have in HubSpot, we actually have an object in HubSpot that we um, added custom object that is our, our referrals from partners. Cause that's an area too, that I think is underutilized is like what partners can service your product, finding it, having some kind of a selection process and actually like teeing that up. So we have, we have a, we built a PRM system for, for HubSpot called company OS PRM, and it's hundred percent hosted on HubSpot. We use that for our own, our own use cases. So sharing and helping us keep track of partners who are referring to us, but also, also the flip side is making it so that you can keep track of that, those, you know, those partners. I have a sales rep from HubSpot that is not part of the official program, but he's referred like three, three projects to me. He's an individual that didn't ask to sign up for a partner program, but I'm treating him as such because he's referred more than two to me, you know, over the past year. I'm surprised the amount of time, the amount of people that don't keep track of where their referrals actually come from. They just, as soon as it comes in, it's brand new. It's like, woo, this is great. And then, and then they just move on to the ether. There's no feedback loop. There's no, there's no conversation. So finding a tool that allows you to do that. We just, we just created the object in HubSpot to make that happen. And we're happy to share some links. Clarify object in HubSpot. Yeah. So an object, contacts, companies, deals, tickets, right? Those are the standard objects. We've created a service object, a partner object, and those other things. So you can keep track of, you know, how many times did Jane Doe, refer me business and what are those deals that they did that. So we built, we actually built that out as a fully featured solution called um, company OS PRM. And so it's got all of that automatically, but we, again, built it for ourselves first and broke it a few times and now it's available um, to everybody. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, the best practice there is to make sure that if you're managing partnerships, you do have uh, at least some level of understanding of where partnerships are flowing, keep yep. the lights on stuff, but day-to-day -day stuff, things that partner managers don't typically think about mm -hmm. when they're launching the program. They typically think, okay, well, you know, I've got my partners in the CSV or Airtable and yeah. docs in Notion or Google Docs or somewhere else. And I'm going to, you know, send them these emails and then I'm going to have a call and I'm going to share a link to a, to a folder with all the assets that you'll need and maybe send you a, a document sign contract and, yeah, and we're all over the place. <laughs> um, it's absolutely all over the place. And then if we have like, we have 16 actual uh, partnerships that are active right now, 
like imagine how many different tools and different docs and different sales objectives and different items we have throughout all those. It's an absolute nightmare. I think most partners think like partner managers think in they're the only ones in the entire universe. Like here's all these things that you need to fill out in order to make it happen. And it's like, can we just jump on a 15 minute call and I'll tell you what's up? Like <laughs> in some cases that's quite helpful and can help with the relationship too. Yeah. So you need, okay. So get organized, of course, anything that you prefer, let's talk about a couple of things. So uh, week to week conversation or month to month conversation, email, Slack communities. What do you like? What has worked and not worked on just communication? Yeah. I think there's two, there's two things. I love, I love loom for answering questions because like you can, you can get that bank of those, those are building blocks rather than the same conversation every single time. Right. We have, we have um, not all, but probably half of our partners are in our Slack. Like we'll invite them into our Slack into a private channel because we want to enable people on our team to ask questions to that individual. Right. Cause that's a really big piece. Like it, Anywhere where there's a bottleneck in our team is going to make it really hard for anyone else. The other, the other side is a pricing. So if your pricing is obscure, and by obscure, I mean not literally easy to understand. Like yeah. HubSpot's for the record, for comparison, you need a PhD for. You know, you, you, if your pricing isn't very simple, you're going to need to create some very simple ways to articulate it. Talking points, that kind of thing. How I imagine, how I communicate is like the ongoing conversations should not be telling me what I need to know, but letting, telling me what I could and how I should tell someone else what they need to know. And I think that that's a really big missing point in a lot of cases. It's like all these really cool features. And then it's like, now you have to like, handle that and then pass that information along. It's a couple of really great partners that we've had where they're like all this information and they're like, here's a loom to share with your team. And it's like general and it's absolutely incredible. So those types of things are big. And then I'm a huge fan of asking for a recorded demo, which usually I get some pushback from like three quarters. I'd say 75% of the time I get pushback. No, if they want a recorded demo, they've got to, or if they want a demo, they've got to get online with one of our salespeople. Do not put that wall in front of us. Like if we're having a conversation and someone's showing his interest in Sendoso, I want to be able to send them a recorded demo from Sendoso saying, hey, check this out straight from the horse's mouth. This is the tool because we're closing that deal for you. You don't even have to have a person that does that. In a lot of cases, we get that re resistance. Then guess who creates the demo? And guess who gets the confidence? Right? And for those on audio, I'm pointing at myself. Right? So you can that's a huge area where you can come out winning as a partner is providing those resources so that we don't have to spend the um, resources to build them. I think that's bare minimum uh, uh, table stakes, whatever you want to call it for partner programs. If you're, it, I, I, I think it's analogous to like hiring a salesperson, you know, uh you, if you want to make your salespeople effective, you give them the ammunition, you give them the training, you give them what they need Everything should yep. be there. They're, they shouldn't have to figure out what to present and they, they should know pricing and they shouldn't have any, any issues, any roadblocks. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Value creation should be the mindset of any partner manager. I find, especially if that partner manager is also the one that's trying to close the deals on the partners, it very much comes across in a lot of cases as, part, as, as value extraction. How much value can I extract out of this partner? in order to make that come across. So think about 
what assets, what resources, how does that email come across? What are you asking of and see how you can serve? But if value creation is the, the game, you're going to see, you're going to have an amazing relationship with that partner. The second you start being another person that's pulling them in another direction, that's going to, that's where it starts to run into some issues. Yeah. As human beings, we have this nature to want to reciprocate when things, yeah. things happen to us. So it's yeah. we just book on psychology, your basic human nature, and that should right. help you out if you are struggling to understand why Remington doesn't care about your new chat tool that's better than the others out there and, <laughs> and your 10% yeah. commission, why he's not, you know, actively referring you business all day long. Why? Right. Why not? It's probably because you haven't done anything for them, you know, done any real, you know, supportive help, you know, Absolutely. highlight them, make them famous, all that fun stuff. And we're over. So I'm going to let you go, yeah. but this has been huge. Remington, you've been awesome, man. I'll link to everything you've got. And uh, thank you again for the time, man. You've been awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care.